I'm happiest in the saddle. <laughs> A fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Come with me if you want to live. Hello, and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. This time, we are taking a highway to the danger zone. Where are we going, George? Which year is it? It is 1986, and we are heading to Miramar because us two are going to review Top Gun. My God, super, super exciting. I'm not sure if we've mentioned it in the past that we were going to cover this. We were kind of holding off. We were waiting for a certain uh, film to come out. That would be uh, Top Gun Maverick, which thankfully has come out and is cinema in cinemas at the time of recording. So, George, uh, Tony Scott, uh, one of our favorite directors, taken from us far too soon. Uh, but, you know, this this is what gave him so much notoriety. But we've already spoken about him when we covered True Romance. Uh, but I'm sure this film got mentioned when we talked about that. And we've talked about The Last Boy Scout and he's got many other films to his name. But uh, was this one of his first films? But we're get, I'm not sure. We're going to get into it. We're going to talk about yeah, yeah, the usual Ramble. Well, well, yeah, we've got there's uh, quite a good uh, lot of production on this. So, yeah, there's there's lots of trivia to, to look forward to. And in terms of how this came together, it wasn't smooth sailing. So that always makes it for more of an interesting ride to uh, on Production Island. So, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about how it all came together, the, the casting, the editing. And obviously, we're, we're going to have to touch on its legacy because, you know, it's it's so one of the biggest films of the 80s. And it's it's influence that it's had on beyond the eighties. So a very a very big film for cinema um, overall. It would seem, and it would go on. Pick pick your favorite action film from the eighties and nineties in some way, shape, or form. It probably links back to Top Gun, either through the cast, the production, <laughs> or or Brookheimer and Simpson. You you take your or Tony Scott. You take your pick. So if you've listened to Retro Ramble before, you know what to expect. George and I are brothers. Uh, should, we, should we do some sort of disclaimer for somebody? If this is your first episode, because you just you weren't going to listen before we did Top Gun, welcome. And here's welcome. George with some general, general, uh, general housekeeping. Uh, thank you, Charlie. So, uh, Retroamble, as Charlie said, we are brothers. Um, this is an independent film podcast. It's a light-hearted look back at the films that Charlie and I grew up with. Uh, so we're reviewing what made them great. You know, why did we watch them? Uh, repeatedly in in some cases um, and just checking out how they they stand up today you know uh, how well they've dated have they gone on to influence or be uh, become a franchise to be spun off to be turned into a Netflix series and I say we it's a light-hearted look it's not an in-depth critical appraisal though Charlie and I will share our opinions but we'll also along the way share some uh, some insights about the production of these films uh, and have a bit of fun with them. So uh, ultimately, we aim to entertain. Exactly. And this is either you love these films as much as we do and you love to reminisce with us, or maybe it will enthuse you to go back and give them another watch. Um, so without further ado, let's let's cut back. Let's put on some Kenny logins. Uh, what am I talking about? I'm not excited enough. I need to get greased up, get down the beach with the guys. I was going to uh, say, I'm, I'm already greased up and, and willing to go. And I is, don't say that often enough. 
No, but George, it's one of life's simple joys. Um, playing for boys. Yeah. Uh, okay, so um, here it is. Tony Scott's Top Gun. Enjoy the show. Enjoy. George, uh, it's 1986, right? Right. Yeah, and um, we've got Top Gun. I don't think it was that simple. Uh, this film has uh, is, I think, it's quite well known that it that it came to be with a lot of moving parts. So, how did we get this film? Like uh, some of the films that we've covered, this uh, goes back to a, a magazine article. So. Producer Jerry Bruckheimer and and his producing partner Don Simpson um, produced a lot of the the big uh, blockbusters of of the eighties and nineties. Uh, they don't really need much introduction, but at this point they had done. Uh, I think Flashdance had be a uh, Flashdance was their first sort of big hit as as a production house, and then they did Beverly Hills Cop. But yeah, uh, Jerry Bruckheimer was leafing through the, the California magazine. California has its own magazine. Did you know? And I look where I live has, you know, I'm sure I'm sure where you live has, you know, come on, get get with it. It's more of, more <laughs> of a, a newsletter, a couple of pages. Yeah, it was an article all about the, the real Top Gun Academy in, in Miramar. And Jerry Bruckheimer took it to Don Simpson and he was like, you've got to see this article. Oh, my God, this this is Star Wars on Earth. <laughs> that yeah, was love that it. Was, love the that pitch. Was, that it. was the pitch. And, it, you know, it shows the, the lasting legacy of, of Star Wars, uh, even in the mid 80s. So they knew pretty much from from the start they they're going they were going to need to get the navy on board for it to work because they were going to need to get access to you know all the locations um use of the planes and footage of the planes because they didn't want to just rely on special effects and miniatures alone because they realized that would look a bit shonky and i think the navy had had some 
they've been burned previously by a film. I can't remember for what exact reasons, but for legal requirements, the Navy said, yes, we're, we're happy to work with you uh, and we want someone to work with you, but they can't be an active service. So they put forward an ex-Top Gun instructor uh, known as uh, Peter Viper Pettigrew, and he right. became the film's technical advisor. So the, the film's writers... Uh, a writing duo, Jim Cash and Mike Epps Jr., they worked with Pettigrew and they talked him through saying, right, this is what we're thinking. And he'd be like, no, that's totally unrealistic. That would never happen. And they were like, all right, well, we need we need uh, an accident to happen in the middle of the film. We're thinking two jet jet planes could crash into each other. And he's like, no, the, Na- the Navy's never going to prove that. Um, but here's an incident of, have you heard of jet wash? So he was giving them scenarios and instance of like real life scenarios that they could work into the script. So we've got a 16 wheeler and then the, the Tomcat's going to come over the door. Oh, I'm getting confused with Michael Bay. These guys kind of were what inspired Michael Bay. I say we'll get, we'll get onto that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Mike, Mike Epps and Jim Cash, they um, wrote, uh, they were also behind uh, the secret of my success. Turner and Hooch, uh, Dick Tracy, and also the Anaconda movies they would go on to write. Um, but anyway, um, Mike Epps was, uh, he was a private pilot. He had his, his own pilot's license. And he said, there was no guarantee that I was going to get, the script was going to be commissioned into a film. So he goes, at the very least, I knew I was going to get to ride in a jet for research. So that's why I picked it up. There's a really good documentary on uh on the collector's uh, Blu-ray, and it's probably on, on YouTube as well, but he goes into detail and he says that he approached it as a sports movie. He's like, he saw these, the, as the articles, yeah, as, as the article talks about, these, these pilots are, were, like, were, were like athletes. They were like, you know, su- you know supreme specimens, and that's how he uh, took to it. And it's also worth mentioning the the whole Top Gun trophy is as utter bollocks because apparently it goes completely against what Top Gun stands for. So the real Top Gun having a wingman taking everyone we work as a team, blah blah yeah. blah. There's there's no trophy, yeah. So from what I can gather, the real Top Gun works is they get yeah the best pilot from each region goes to Top Gun, gets trained up, learns all the best tricks on how to be the best pilot ever, then they're sent back to their respective um flight school and then go and teach the the rest of their school and basically this is what i learned at top gun so it is a it's a bringing everyone up to that general that bringing the general bar of skill up as a whole not uh, like yeah you're the best we'll pick you 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 go home so but obviously you need that element of competition as well but, so but seriously, seriously coach we we, we have to we have to play volleyball naked <laughs> it worked in miramar it helped us bond we have to do this <laughs> that that neatly takes us to uh, tony scott so tony scott it's uh, tony scott's second film his first film was um a film called the hunger which was a very artsy even tony scott calls it an artsy fartsy uh, movie about vampires with none other than david bowie <laughs> As we've talked about, I think in True Romance, Tony Scott and Ridley Scott's background was originally in commercials and he made the leap a bit later into films uh, than Ridley. But The Hunger was a massive flop and he said that nobody, his name was mud in Hollywood, nobody wanted to touch him. 
But some of the few people that actually enjoyed The Hunger were Simpson and Bruckheimer. But they really wanted to work with Tony Scott for this because he had made a Saab commercial where a Saab was racing against a jet. And the way it was all filmed, they were like, yes, we want that. He gets it. He gets, he gets what it. we want. Yeah. Um, but Tony Scott said he didn't originally get it. He said he was struggling to work out what the film should be. And then his sort of summary for it was rock and roll stars in the sky gleaming, you know, airplanes against, you know, the sky with rock music, which is pretty much what he delivered. Amazing rock music. Amazing rock music. And he also does admit that, um, yes, the beach volleyball scene is basically soft porn. But, um, yeah, he's uh, unashamedly about, you know, he's like, put it in for... Give, give the people what they want. And apparently he quotes, uh, there's a, a famous photographer called Bruce Weber who did all this work with male models um, and is all this like very stylistic men in military um, and it's all, all lots of military men just with their tops off shot stylistically and Tony Scott's like, yeah, I want that look. Um, and that's why we've got lots of glistening, lingering shots on, on the male physique, sweaty male bodies. What, what, what I what I read, Charlie Trivia, uh, I read this was about a targeting thing that in terms of editing that they they went back and they, they showed the film to different audiences and it trended so well with women that they really amped up the this is kind of like uh, this would this would happen again would take that, you know, take that. They were like, keep. More gay, more gay. The women love it. Get gay. Um, but yeah, but apparently that was it. That's why they were. Yeah, they did. There were certain elements they wanted to push. And in test, so I think, were they still doing this back then where they were, they had lots of footage and they had a cut and they did the cut based on audience reaction? Because that's what I'm reading into that. Yes. Yeah. So there was, um, there were some test screenings and yeah, there, we've talked about test screenings before and yeah, it helps sort of shape a film early on. They can work out what works, what doesn't. And that's when reshoots usually happen. And yeah, I think with this, because obviously Flashdance was, um, you know, a big hit and had the music soundtrack. They wanted to replicate that, but for guys. And I think they were really surprised when they tested it. They were like, hang on. It's not just testing well with guys. It's testing really high with women as well. Perfect and, day movie. And yep. the one thing that they did put in, in, uh, in reshoots was more romance you could say it's focusing too much on the uh, dynamics between the tensions between Maverick and an Iceman that some people have, have read into in a different way. Um, <laughs> Talk to Quentin Tarantino about that. Yeah. Um, so you could argue that, yeah, the reshoots, um, so the, the main reshoots that they did put in, I'm sort of jumping ahead here, but um, were, um, yeah, key uh, scenes between Charlie and Maver uh, Kelly McGillis and Maverick. Um, so the scene in the in the lift and the the love scene as well, that was added in. It's uh, in those scenes, Kelly McGillis is wearing a cap and Tom Cruise has his hair slicked back because they were both on different films at that point. Or Kelly McGillis With different, had, ha different hairstyles. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, Kelly McGillis had cut off her hair, so that's why she's wearing a cap. And Tom Cruise is working on The Colour of Money and his hair was longer, so that's why it's all slicked back. And that's why the... Um, the love scene is all filmed in practically, you know, darkness. Soft porn, dark blue silhouette type yeah. stuff. Yeah. Again, to, to hide uh, some of their, their hair. But yeah, should we get into to casting? We can. We can jump into that. I've, I mean, is this dovetailing into your... Uh, I'm happy to talk about casting. Does this dovetail in a production? Island? It's just at some stage, 
I think we should cover first memories, but maybe maybe let's get the work out of the way and then get all nostalgic. Um, okay, yeah. So in terms of casting, casting. Hello, uh, hello, and welcome to Casting Island. Um, so in terms of casting, uh, apparently, even though some people say, "Oh, all the you know who's who were considered for the role." Um, the writers have openly said they were writing it pretty much from the get-go with Cruz in mind, um, based on his performance in All the Right Moves. Have you seen it? I I've, I think yes. I've seen about 10 minutes of it. Well, if um, I'm honest, yeah, I think it's probably about that. We're like, what, American football? No, no, out yeah. with it, no explosions. What? Yeah. I don't understand. No, um, he wasn't a producer of any kind, Tom Cruise, on this film. No, not this. Uh, I think... Um, was it, it was second film or something? No, no, he he'd he done quite a few films, but I don't think he got into pr- pr- a proper production until like mid nineties. Okay, okay, um, okay, okay. No, no, maybe. So I- he's this is the film that obviously made his. Again, we'll go into this later on, but he was uh, you know a star on the rise. You know, um, he'd done The Outsiders, all the right moves. Risky Business was the big his big calling card. I think that was eighty three. Right. So so yeah, he was. You know, I think a lot of people were like, yeah, if you can get Tom Cruise, he's, he's that his star was on the rise. So hot right now. Um, and Kelly McGillis was uh, also her star was on the rise because she had just been in Witness, which was she awesome. was Paramount property. Yeah, she did Witness. She did this and she did. Uh, what's the other one? Um, with Harrison. No, Harrison Ford. Uh, with Witness. I, I, the, the Accused was, I think, the other one. Um, with, with Jodie Forster. But yes, uh, she was on a Paramount contract and yes, she was very hot after Witness because that was a big hit. So yeah. Kilmer, um, Val Kilmer. And um, who else we've got? We've got uh, Rick Rasosovich, Michael Ironside, Tim Robbins. Obviously the, Goose. Goose would go on to be an ER. Uh, Anthony uh, Edwards, right? yeah, as Goose. And we've also got uh, the guy who plays Sundown, who's also Theo in Die Hard. <laughs> yeah um, Classic. Uh, Holly- Hollywood alumni there Yeah So yeah That's that's sort of the main cast And all the character, uh, All the pilots the, All the Top Gun pilots uh, Actors Were put through Four days uh, Navy survival training So there's like Footage of them being You know um, Held dropped, underwater Yeah dropped by All in full gear They had to like Tread water In all their gear For like 20 minutes uh, in full flight suits and boots and helmets and and parachute gear and stuff like that. So wow, yeah, there's some very cool stuff that they uh, because they also had to go on. I think they all did three like flights each just to get a feel for what it's like. And I think I think Anthony Edwards Goose was the only one that didn't vomit. <laughs> wow, nerves of steel, huh? Yeah. Well, let's uh, talk about. Uh, sorry, have you got any other casting nuggets? Oh, and I was going to say one last thing that originally Tom Cruise, even though they were writing it for him, wasn't overly convinced. And then so Jerry Bruckheimer was like, get him in the air. And basically they, they took him flying with the Blue Angels and like, you know, did all the like loop the loops. And Tom Cruise, like, afterwards was like, I want, I've got to do this movie. I've got to do this movie. <laughs> and, and, and now he flies helicopters. So and Jerry- he flies everything. Yeah, you can fly it, fly anything. Okay, so is is that are we are we done with production challenge? I mean, we had to do this film justice. This is, and I, I said it before in the intro that this being a Brookheimer Simpson joint, these are two names that come up 
again and again in the films that we cover. We have so much to thank them for. Um, putting in perspective, you know, obviously there are some franchises that are very big to us. There's, you know, there's James Bond, uh, there's Star Wars, there's, you know, there's been lots of things, but we've, there's, there's the Batman, um, there's the, there's the comic book films, but we've watched these guys films so much, so much more, you know, these, these were the, the almost the Marvel films of our generation because they just kept on giving us good quality stuff again and again. Until well, we- that's it. As you say, if you, if you grew up, if you were of our generation, all those films that they made, that was, as you say, it's the equivalent of Marvel. They were churning them out. So Beverly Hills Cop, this, you know, uh, Days of Thunder, the Rock, um, Conair, the co- you know Conair, Crimson Tide, Enemy of the State, Armageddon, you know, so right up until uh, you know, obviously it started peating out. Right and up then, until uh, they casted Ben Affleck, you know, it was, um, it was all going so well. Well, well no, even um, even well, it's in the news a lot at the moment. Even uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, that's a that's a Jerry Bruckheimer production as well. So you know, they the man's still, the man's still working. Yeah, and the, yeah, and but they, uh, I suppose it was that. That era as well, I'd say Flashdance was one of the first to have that hit pop soundtrack. And we've obviously covered, I, I refer to Top Gun as like the male uh, counterpart to Dirty Dancing. I think, you know, uh, sort of in terms of soundtracks and like slumber parties, you know, put on Dirty Dancing to please the girls and then everyone watches Top Gun. Um, it's the, the two very much like, you know, they go hand in hand in my mind. And speaking of dirty dancing, if we ever cover flash dance, you know who we're going to have to get back on the podcast. I don't think I've ever seen flash dance, but yes, of course, we'll have to get our sister Safira. Yeah, just think of those leg warmers. Yeah, that's what, and that that sound. But there was the soundtrack. But I think, but no, that was that was the, that was that formula of you know we get we get the the big emerging star. You know, if you look at again like um, Beverly Kevin Hills Bacon, Cop, Kevin Bacon, Ke- Kevin Bacon, you know, um, or, Eddie you know, Murphy, Eddie yeah, Murphy, yeah. and get some hit soundtracks and they get Kenny Loggins on the phone, and you know you've got you've got a box office hit. Okay, so before we dive into and talk about our favorite bits, let's well let's start with that. First memories, bad tracking of oh, okay. VHS, but it was of the one of the best intros to a film. Just the anticipation of the, um, you know, that that bell ringing. I don't know. Do, can you know the name of the song? Because it's um, it's not. It's I don't think it's Loggins. You know the the theme music. Do, do, oh, it's, that's Harold Faltermeyer. So he's wow. also behind the Beverly Hills Cop. Do, 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 do. So, yes. He's... But this is a very mellow, like, just builds and builds and builds and then goes to different levels. No, it's 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 a haunting. It still haunts me to this day. No, and the sunsets, the thing, and then release logins. Well, you know who's the producer behind all the music and is the pro- uh, the the mentor to Harold Faltermeyer. You're not going to tell me who I think it is. It's Giovanni Giorgio. No, Giorgio Moroder. It's oh Giorgio Moroder, who was again all over, I think pretty much all over uh, the Flashdance soundtrack. Yeah. He's, you know, huge producer, synth <laughs> legend. In a cage of synths. In a cage of synths. So yes, it, Giorgio Moroder is like basically produces all the, the music on this as well. Amazing. But as you say, um, it's, it's, it's an amazing opening. Tony Scott is renowned for his use of light, you know, his, his sunsets, his, his smoke, his steam, his lighting, his slow-mo. And apparently there was so much slow-mo 
in his dailies that uh, Paramount uh, fired him. He said he was fired on this film three times. Um, but they were wow. like, it's, it's too much slow-mo. We, have, too we much. haven't got time to review all this shit, man. Can exactly. you speed it up? <laughs> so yeah, apparently his his sort of trick was like, I'll, I'll film one reel of normal speed stuff and then I'll do the rest slow-mo. But apparently somebody sent the wrong reels <laughs> to the studio and they're like- So they got everything in slow-mo. Oh my yeah. God, you're fired. Yeah. So, um, but um, the other thing I can't help thinking of, and again, we're sort of mixing sort of memories, is um, I can't help thinking of hot shots now. Oh all, my God. All no, the this... stuff now. Did this create the, because the hot shots films were, are they National Lampoons? No, no. It's, uh, I was, I started watching hot shots uh, a couple of days ago just because uh, I'd, I'd just recently seen Top Gun um, no it's 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 Zuckers it's a lot of the, the key people from the Naked Gun are go on to do the, the hot shots films no I just wondered if they'd done anything else before they did hot shots or did hot shots come out because it was like almost in response like a lot of good satires are to films that become the guy, zeitgeist you yeah know? I, I think so we had the airport film so we got airplane and you know scary movie was kind of in you know response to all the slasher films we were getting in the 90s and I wonder was hot shots and a reaction to possibly Top Gun? Yeah, possibly. I mean, it was. It took a few years. I think Hot Shots is nineteen ninety, so it took you know a good four years to get their act together. And right, yeah, right, but we right were still watching. We were still watching Top Gun. Well, you talk about the, you know, the age of you know video. We probably you know we didn't get it on uh, video or home video for at least you know three years after it came out. I, I can tell you that I I can remember going on a school uh, school holiday and we're on the bus. And somebody's got the stereo, um, you know, you, you have to choose. And it's funny you make that. I can't believe you made that analogy about Dirty Dancing. And because that was the battle that was going on. Well, the girls, the good. I, I mean, I know all the freaking songs to, you know, going on a school trip to France from Newcastle. It takes about a day. And we had to listen to Dirty Dancing. But when that wasn't on. We had Top Gun on and I'm sorry, but like every every tune is not only bombastic and amazing, apart from Take My Breath Away, it's made by Kenny Loggins. Am I right that most of the soundtrack is Kenny Loggins? Uh, he I think does, he's got about five or six tracks. He does at least ten. two, maybe three tracks. So there's there's Danger Zone playing with the boys. There might be one of us. There's. There's Mighty Wings, but I don't think that's Kenny Loggins. It sounds very like Kenny Loggins. Could be Don Johnson for you, know. But uh, no, no uh, yeah, but uh, what a soundtrack. And But the, these are our memories. And I just think that, I just I just remember this as being, uh, I was I was very into this film. You know, that this this was one that was on the tally, you know, that dad had recorded off the tally and that we watched. But this led to an obsession with F-14 Tomcats, watching it again and again, and then everybody having an opinion on it. And I remember talking to dad about this. And he's like, you do realize that they had, the Navy had desks outside cinemas and they, they signed up people. And when you understand that it trended so well with girls, that obviously guys were taking their dates, you know, 16, 17, eight year old guys were taking their, their dates to see their films and they were coming out. And it's like, you could sign up today, soldier, you know? And then saying, yeah, I'd, you could imagine there's all this thing and the, nobody had ever shot, scenes like this before so there was buzz but i say we were still listening to the soundtrack in 91 you know yeah. so maybe this is the golden age of video that that films lasted longer or great films lasted longer it was it was massive it still is massive yeah no it's, it's funny like i don't particularly because i was probably so young it was you know it's a bit like 
as I said, with you know films like Predator, you've seen it so many times, you can't actually trace it back. And you were so, and I was so young, I can't trace it back to that first memory. I just remember watching it loads on, on video at home. But yeah, I've got so many fond memories of the soundtrack. I remember being, um, you know, at a, uh, a halls of residence party, and we, like me and a bunch of our, my friends, you know, it was a fancy dress party. We were all absolutely hammered and put the Top Gun soundtrack on full blast and pretty much like <laughs> wiped out the whole dance floor. There was just us dancing in the middle, going nuts to uh yeah playing with the boys why uh, wouldn't anybody want to dance with you i, I just don't understand that i don't understand why i was single for so long <laughs> <laughs> no for me uh just to finish off the first memories i just have this flashback of uh, the tv room or family room whatever you want to call it and just the bad tracking and then the sunsets and the and then that really like that build up and that you know that bell noise on that the, 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 sinister, the sinister music as well when uh, cougar's losing it yeah, uh, that, that, that's, but those are three um, tempo changes. So you've got the like the build up of that that music, and then you've got the release throttle, engage Kenny Loggins, and yeah. then you've got the think he's gonna lose it. Um, dum 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 And then we've got. Uh, so should we talk about the movie? Let's let's just jump through. Just jump right in. So we're, we're talking about the opening scenes. We've got some great sound language. We've got some F14s, F15s taking off. Lots of dry ice. Lots of. Um, Somebody showing his chops from TV commercials about how to make a few seconds look like an hour, like yeah. really exciting. We've got some. We've got. We're, they're kind of teasing in uh, the avionics, the the um, the camera work. Well, yeah, they're making it all all exotic. I mean, yeah, somebody's cooking hot dogs. Oh no, that's 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 uh, hot shots. That's that's hot shots. We're <laughs> going to be doing that a lot in this episode. Yeah. Was that in Top Gun or was that in Hot Shots? Yeah. Um, and it's Strickland. Strickland's back, sweaty, a, sweaty, and smoking a cigar. I saw this. Uh, they re-released it. I don't know if it was they were wanting to sort of try and re-release it with Maverick, and obviously Maverick kept being delayed. But they re-released uh, Top Gun in cinemas last summer in 4k and i went and saw it with uh with my neighbor steven and it was amazing i didn't realize how, like i forgot how people are sweating literally in every single scene because i suppose you're on an aircraft carrier in the in, in the pacific ocean or indian ocean it's going to be hot and sweaty but literally sweat is dripping off everyone's faces then they're at miramar everyone's sweating it's a very sweaty movie I, I think just as when we covered Tombstone, that had a mustache warning. This has a perspiration warning oh, on yeah. it because, like, if you're not sweating or dripping from coming out of a shower because it's so hot, it's like this thing is dripping, dripping with masculinity, um, dripping with discovery, and there's a tiny little sprinkling of Homer, Homer, uh, yes. sexual awakening. Um, I, I all all I know is that I'm really pumped. And I want to go out and fly some planes with some of my flyboys when I watch this film. But no, um, this has a typical, I guess you could say, three-act structure of the time. I don't know if there were other films of its ilk, but when you see this film, it's uh, it's kind of like there's a certain sort of rockiness to it, you know, like chips are down, got to prove yourself. I heard what you're saying before about it being there's a lot of connotations with sport movies, mm -hmm. athlete things, jocks. Yeah. Um, but uh, we talked about casting, but let's talk about cast. We talked about um, where Tom Cruise was. Um, can we talk about Val Kilmer is what I'm saying, basically. Val Kilmer's amazing hair. 
apparently Val Kilmer didn't want to be in it and you had to be are you biting at me <laughs> um, I'm pretending to bite your penis off what <laughs> uh-huh. oh god isn't that uh, what he's doing in that oh, scene no no Jesus. no <laughs> I've gone too far um, well we'll cut that out we'll cut that out. Um, so yeah uh, no Val Kilmer didn't want to be in this and Tony Scott had to beg him and reconsider Apparently he was um, he's he's hilarious on the uh, the making of documentary on on the Blu-ray. He's like he's very self-deprecating. He's 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 quite apologetic because he's like yeah he goes I got maybe into character a bit too much and Offset would wind up Tom Cruise and and like you know rile him up and Tom Cruise I think deliberately kept himself separate from the rest of the the flyboys anyway because of you know going a bit method but i think but val kilmer went out of his way to antagonize him whenever they were on set and a lot of people admit saying yeah you know it was it was like they were both in character a lot of the time i, I love their animosity i think it's good because there's there's the fact that we're we're flying these jets and maybe there's some of that Top Gun thing. It's like we don't leave. It's about the team and it's about yeah. learning stuff. And you know, we don't 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 endanger the mission. You know, but I am dangerous, <laughs> Ice Man. Ice. You know why it's called Ice Man? Because he drinks ice in his drinks. Yeah, <laughs> I saw sun- that sunglasses indoors as well. Isn't it because he's just so he's so cool, so cool? Uh, not gay. Uh, but uh, there's so much about this film going going back to it that uh, we are celebrating the 80s. We are celebrating. We've got these, you know, 15 million dollar planes that can go at Mac two, and let's let's go. Who let's go and blow the shit out of something? And the guy from um, can't remember the actor in. Let's take another crossover to Hot Shots where. Hot Shots Part 2 just turns to the camera and goes, war, it's fantastic. Oh, yeah, when it goes back to what we were saying about Rocky Four, you know, like, I say, if... if it's so 80s, like, this and Rocky Four win, if, they'd be number one, it would be a fight-off between these two, it's like, which is the most... This, maybe these two in Flashdance, which is the most 80s film for being so 80s? Well, that's it, if you, you, you typed in Google search, yeah, 1980s movies, <laughs> you know, this would definitely be in your top five uh, offerings but yes you've got the fashions you've got literally the music being pumped into every different scene whether in the officer's lounge there's the you you lost that loving feeling obviously that's an iconic moment and i'm sure it's been replicated to ad nauseum since yeah. ever since i was a bit scared that might pop up in the new one but uh thank god no well no uh, even uh michael einside says he goes because I was at a wedding and that, that song played, you know, 20 years later and everyone stops and looks at me and he's like, I don't know, I'm not even in that fucking scene. I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> the eye inside. The uh, eyes. Just that voice coming at you over the radio. If you, if you want anybody giving you a pep talk, going at those speeds in those planes, it's Ironside. You know, you got this. Uh, he's Chester, right? He's, he, Ch- he's, he's, he's he, uh, Chester yeah, he's, and there's he's, Viper. Viper is Tom Skerritt. Tom Skerritt, stroking Tom Skerritt. his moustache. It's a glorious moustache. Uh, and Goose Flew has a pup. lovely... Flew with your pup. Still got his eyes. No, sorry, that's that's hot <laughs> shots again. <laughs> um, no, I mean this, this, uh, what this, this, and Terminator and Rocky. It's right up there. It's this. There's so mm. many scenes, and I, I, I think I, I think it's a roller coaster. You know, you are blown away even now by the the cinematography, the scenes. You know, you can see in the new film from what we've seen in the trailers. 
they're they're doing a lot of stuff, but it it's there's there's only so much they can do. You know, it was so ahead of its time. They they were they were putting cameras in, on these planes and they were using real pilots. Uh, so it, it it was impressive then, and it still looks impressive now. No, it's um. It is amazing, like how much footage that they got, and uh, I. There's also, like I said, the the documentary on the uh, the Blu-rays, like over two hours long, and it's broken up into different sections. And there's one that's all about the guys that had to do the miniatures. So for the close-up, the explosions and and stunts where, like you know, it's in the jet wash, and it's basically just twenty minutes of these really geeky guys on top of this hill in California, just throwing. <laughs> Throwing models off a crane, just going, get that, do it again, spin it, spin it. <laughs> it's just like, put in more gunpowder. And it's hilarious. Obviously, we've, we talk about our, our love of miniatures. But yeah, they're basically just situated on this undeveloped housing estate at the top of California. But yeah, they, they got so much real footage. And again, there's it goes into the detail of Tony Scott going, yeah, so basically... In this next shot, I want you guys to fly up and then like go vertical. And the pilots are like, we can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) And that's complete. That's not going to happen. Yeah, the plane would just die. Um, Fall to to bits like wet bits of cake. (laughs) Like wet bits of cake. (laughs) So, yeah, apparently it was a real challenge in the uh, initial edit. Apparently the first cut was a disaster. Jerry Bruckheimer said, it was one long sunset <laughs> and the aerial scenes made no sense because like, I think Tony Scott had an idea in his head and had storyboards. And then when it got to the editing team, they were like, well, this doesn't relate to what you've, because, you know, there's only so much they can get in camera and a lot of the stuff they wanted to get, you couldn't get that close. So they had to go back and there's a lot of, uh, they said, thankfully, a lot of the scenes that they filmed in the cockpit of the actors in the cockpit, they're all wearing their face masks. So they said they they did so much ADR to help piece those like, oh, he's, he's, he's on the left. He's on the right. Um, he's, we're going to shoot straight past him. And it's just like a lot of that was dropped in in ADR to help make those uh, aerial scenes make sense. And that's the one thing that when I rewatched it recently, forget how good those those flight scenes are. They are like, you know, it's brilliant footage and really well edited with the, the guys in, in the cockpit with some rear projection. It's, it's really well done. It's something that uh, Mike Epps, the, the screenwriter, talks about. He said, again, yeah, spending time with Pete Pettigrew saying that they wanted to make it feel real. And they were like, oh, is this language going to alienate people? And they're like, no, people will get it. They'll pretty much, you know, he's, he's on my six, two bogeys. It's like, that's how people t- talk. And they, they wanted that. They wanted that almost alienation of these guys. He said, you know, spending time with all the pies, he's like, they basically speak another language and they wanted that to, to come through in the film. Have you not seen Star Wars or Lord of the Rings? You know, you've got to have your own speak. You know, you've got to have your own way of, of talking. So. It's gibberish. I make it up. I make it all up. But uh, yeah, I think these, um, it'll go down in history. Some of the best, you know, camera work. And um, we've all seen Iron Eagle. We've seen other films trying to do it. Um mm-hmm. To reuse footage, um, I think this film might be guilty of it once. But you know, there are some things of well, um, yeah. I think they could only get like one or two shots of a missile being fired. So I think that's flipped and looped a few times. And they're they're only allowed to to, to shoot down one mega year. Um, no, well, so, uh, can, can we talk about the uh, the elephants in the room? So, am I right in thinking? I know it's you. You haven't seen it as as freshly as I have, but. When I watched it, and I talked about it because I watched it with a bunch of friends uh, at work, 
they never outrightly say it's the Russians. They just say it, it's a MIG and it's the other side and the enemy enemy territory. They never refer to who they're actually fighting against in the end, do they? Well, as you've seen that one more recently than I, then I, I think I'd have to agree with you. But what I can tell you is that is exactly the same. Is it? In, is it? Is it? Is it a in, faceless? In, in in Top Gun, no, no, but. Those those look like Russian fighters. Like anybody who knows the planes, they are. They're yeah. the enemy, enemy territory. Oh, look, the snow. Um, never mentioned. Right. At all. Yeah, so it's the but, same. But but no, but in Top Gun, they refer to them as MIGs. Enemy MIGs. They're called enemy MIGs. And but the, that, yeah, and, and it even says, like at the end, he says, Maverick, your, you know, your name's gonna be all all over the paper. How's it feel? You're gonna be in all the papers tomorrow. Even the other side are gonna be reporting on it. And it's like, why don't you just say the country? <laughs> So, and yeah, and in the latest one, they don't refer. So you were asking, do they refer to in, in Top Gun? They do refer to them as MIGs, don't they? Well, they never say Russian MIGs. They never say Russian MIGs. They say yeah. MIGs in the in Maverick. They refer to them as fifth generation. Ah, OK. With the F-14 and the F-15 being first or second generation. But we're up to the fifth now. Right. But they just say, hey, they're fifth, fifth generation. Right. Don't you mean Russian? No, you know what I'm saying, man. Somebody get the ADR guys in here. We can cut whatever you want out of that. But uh, yeah, so uh, just don't mention the war. Uh, so yeah, and no, I always just thought that obviously, you know, probably tensions were, were fairly high during the, the mid 80s. Obviously, so it's a Reagan, Reaganites, wasn't but, it? Was but yeah, it's Cold yeah. War ending type late 80s. Yeah. No, well, yeah, mid 80s, but, you know, didn't stop, you know, Ram- Rambo 2 going and solving, you know, basically <laughs> killing all those Ruskies. On the, on the work of the good, the hardworking people of the Taliban. Okay, what else do we need to do? We haven't talked about beach volleyball, but I don't think we really want to get that excited right now. Um, what else could you say? About I mean, I, I always feel sorry for Anthony Edwards. I feel he's a bit body conscious. Everyone else has got their tops off. They're glistening, they're posing. You know, Rick Rosovich or, or whatever he's called, you know, sl- uh, Slider is, is, is doing all the poses. But yeah, Anthony Edwards, he's got his little vest on or whatever. But Anthony Edwards is, you know, he is, I think, the unsung hero in this film. I think he gives probably one of the best performances in it. You know, obviously he's got the more uh, emotional, you know, you get to see, you know a bit more about his background. You get obviously, you know, one of the first appearances or screenings of uh, Meg Ryan. Yeah. Who, who's great in the little work that she has to do in it. But yeah, I think, I, you know, I just want to sort of shout out to Anthony Edwards. I think he's brilliant in this and it's a shame. Obviously, I know he made a, a, a quite a career on ER, um, it's right, I think he was getting paid a lot of money. I think he made a, yeah. he made a very good career because you imagine he was in it for a long time. This was at the same time as Friends. There was Friends in ER. Oh, he's, he, he would have been yeah. getting a pretty pretty penny for each episode, and he got to demonstrate his range. And I remember watching ER, obviously very popular with the ladies when I was uh, at university. Uh, uh, you, do, you, 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 you do realize he was in Top Gun and they just roll their eyes. It's, no, he's in Top Gun. He's in Top Gun. Yeah, but he's acting now. Yeah. But okay. Well, that's, that's the one thing I know that we've been waxing lyrical about this film and all the things that we love. Um, the thing I would say is you can see Cruz's performance. You can see how he's matured as an actor and he's got better as an actor. That he There are... There's, it's not his best like performance. Yes, it's it's a 
it's it's the role that made him a star, you know, bankable box office. But if you know, Maverick's not the most likable character. You know, he's a bit of a dick at times. He's 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 very selfish. But Cruz has that that winning charisma. But you can see. I say I don't know. Just watching it, and obviously I've seen you know seeing his work in since it, yeah. it's almost like they've looked at. It's almost like he's uh, looked at Top at Top Gun, and his agent has, or just throughout his career, and they're like more of the, you know this bit of the character that works. This this not so much, um, but yeah, it's. Uh, it, what I mean is you can see elements of his character that's still there today and you can see stuff that's been brushed yeah. under the car, but don't just don't don't go down that or don't act like that. I mean, but yeah, I guess- it's, it's a very quotable film. You know, there's obviously people being quoting this, you know, still quote this film to this day. And it's uh, again, like Dirty Dancing, it's got some of those most famous film quotes of all time. But there is some very clunky dialogue that is clunkily delivered as well. Yeah, and there's 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 just some weird moments and unnecessary and um, well, I mean, if if you dissect it, you know, like we we took it all at face value, um, didn't get some of the undertones, um, but I mean, let's let's you can't not look at this film for what this is. This is a gung ho celebration of the U.S. Navy and their fighting prowess mm. and their ability to take out the enemy command and and guys fighting against it. So it's very jingoistic and it's very you know like the thing is it's just done slicker if you were to look at films that were done 30 40 years previously which were war propaganda films you'd be like look at him he's a man he's flying a plane um you'd say oh it's laughable this is just a slicker version of this and it's delivered by you know a director who knows how to make it look super cool uh with top Top Gun actor. God, I'm going into Team America now. Um, but no, but this is this is just it is. If you look at it for what it is, it is America. It it's, is. It's, it's kind of it's, it's jingoistic. It's a, you know, it's jingoism. It's like this is what it's like. But it's to a product fight for your country and to kill a man from from three miles away. <laughs> but it's you know it's it's a product of its time, good and bad. You know, yeah, we've talked about how jingoistic the eighties were. Um, it's interesting. As I say, we we had a screening at uh, my my office of of this last week, and there there were some people much younger than me watching it for the first time, and they did not like it. They just thought it was, they were just like, oh god, it's badly acted. It's re- it's so cheesy. It's and it's just like, yeah, but the films were like that. And then there were other people that had never seen it. Were just like, yeah, it's great fun. You know, it's and and as, as I said to. Uh, one of my friends is like, you can see where Michael Michael Bay owes his whole career to this film, pretty much. <laughs> so much inspiration for Michael Bay. Sunset, explosions, so, dry slow-mo, ice. Slow-mo. Sw- yeah. Sweaty men. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much tick, tick and tick. I think not just them, the industry as a whole. This this became, we talked about, you know, we've been covering Bond recently. You talk about the Bond formula. You talk about um, a good action film. We talk about an, a three-act structure in film. Mm. This is very much an action movie template. The, it does obviously take a, a lot of tropes. Yes, it's predictable, but it's, well, it's, really well, it's got a kick-ass soundtrack, you know? Well, it's there's beautiful. There's the bit that I noticed, and I'm sure we've probably seen it before, uh, we've talked about it before, but the, you know, the whole bit where he's 
going into battle in the end, and then he's he's pulling out, he's pulling out, he's Maverick, where are you going? What are you doing? And then he has the what I call the use the force moment. He looks at the, the dog tags, yeah. Talk talk to me, goose. And it's like, that's just use the force. <laughs> it is use the force. You can do uh, this. Can and do ap- apparently that was again something that they put in the uh, in the edit. Post, like, in post, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just put a close-up of someone holding some dog tags. It'll be fine, it'll make sense. Just throw the dog tags away. You know those dog tags that threw into the sea, you know those inanimate objects. Could you print me some more? Because I'm gonna need them. Later on. Um, but no beautiful shots but like i've i really want to be on an aircraft carrier i want to get in, a, in an f-14 and just go and blow up some um what's the term i'm looking for non non-descriptive hostile, hostile <laughs> targets targets from a from a certain place somewhere uh yes yeah, so yeah on point and good good time to release it now uh i guess <laughs> probably uh yeah you know let's state departments yeah yeah we're good to go we're good to go um so anything else that we haven't covered we've talked about the soundtrack we talked about the logins I, I was a big fan of uh, Take My Breath Away, featuring a lot of soft rock albums, CDs, of course. Yeah. CDs were big, and Top Gun was one of them. Mm-hmm. Remember, um, just to show you what this album meant to me and what CD, what you could expect from CD albums, I had the Top Gun CD album, The Case Broke, and I sacrificed another case and switched the labels around. It, there was a bit of screwdriver work, but that's what Top Gun was. That's it was what I meant. A shoddy you. CD cause, but it, it meant a lot to me. CD cases were shoddy, but there were ways around it. And oh, I, look, I, there's no scratches on this one. I remember that they even, and I'm sure they did the same with Dirty Dancing. They released like an ultimate edition CD that included um, the Righteous Brothers and even uh, Great Balls of Fire, just because, well, Oh, that song's referenced and it's badly sung. Chuck that on as well. Love it. And and sitting on the dock of the bay. I'm not sure if that's in the original soundtrack, but it's it's on there. I think we've covered all the main stuff. Uh, apparently, Tom Cruise had to stand on apple boxes because. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Kelly McGillis has got a lean and grudge. Have you noticed in the lift? In the lift, she's back against the wall. She's, you know, propped up against something. Yeah, so she's 5'11". Uh, what's the official height of Cruz? Is he 5'6"? I think there's a website de- devoted to it. There's a website devoted to it, but uh, he's, yeah, he's, he's, yeah. Uh, he's around about the military, the average military height of a soldier for World War II. And yeah, there's a bit where they're like they're snogging on on his bike, and he's sort of sat on the top of the bike, and she's sort of like wrapped around the lower bit, and it's sort of like so like, mm, that looks a bit uncomfortable, but we'll just yeah. go with it. That was a story that did the rounds recently. There that that she's pretty much having to lean in in in, most in every shots. scene. Lean, yeah. but she's a great actress. She knows what to do. She's like, I'm really gonna have to. Okay, there's a. I'm gonna sit on this bed. And yeah. we're going to move the camera back and nobody's going to know. Uh, no, he is a big, big actor in every other way. But yeah, and what a career he's gone on to have. And what a what a template he set was setting with uh, Paramount. You know, the relationship that Paramount set up with uh, their actors, the Kelly McGillis, the, yeah. the Tom Cruise, the, the Eddie Murphy, and, and the wonderful films that would go on all together to make. Um, I don't think a lot of other studios have 
such a lasting relationship yeah well one negotiated deals that benefit both parties in such a way because it's it's that that was fascinating obviously there's been a lot of pr flying about we're all finding out stuff uh, about what was agreed with these actors then and what's agreed now but it's it's interesting to see the chances that paramount took on actors that we've just mentioned the likes of eddie murphy and tom cruise and kelly mcgillis they were like okay no let's Let's, let's roll the dice on this guy. But yeah, if you, um, if you look at now, like in terms of non, well, non comic book types st- or non Star Wars type stuff, you know, yeah, for Paramount, obviously Mission Impossible is a huge, you know, asset to them, you know, a huge cash cow. And that's why they're like, yeah, we don't want just one Mission Impossible sequel. We want back to back sequels. We want, you know, part seven and eight. Because yeah, that's that's how they they realised you know how you know he's still. I saw someone you know refer to Cruz as you know the probably the last big movie star we're going to get. Yeah, I mean he's 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 and and the most committed to to, mm. to, to action. It's like the rest of them. It's like yeah, sure, I could do it. You know, you could see the Rock saying yeah, and and when I was making that uh, San Andreas film, I had to. I had to jump off a, a, a green screen that was a hundred feet tall, you know, yeah. that was scary, some scary shit, but yeah, I think, I think we've got a lot to, to see coming up in the, the upcoming mission impossible films. I saw some stuff today that I haven't had a chance to watch about the, the current insanity. Uh, the trailer's whatever, just dropped. Yeah. Whatever Tom Cruise's um, insurance company, insurance company is allowed. Should we go to uh, coulda, woulda, shoulda? Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Coulda, woulda, shoulda is where George enlightens us and tells us which actors were considered for the roles but didn't get it. So my question to start you off, brother, is um, was it always going to be Tom Cruise? Yeah, so, I mean, there was... uh, I watched a... Uh, IMDb do mini videos and they do their own version of coulda, woulda, shoulda. I think they call it casting calls. And they're copying us already. Jesus, get original. But they, I mean, their jingle's not as good as ours, to be fair. But they were trying to suggest, oh, well, a who's who of people were considered or approached. And they talk about the usual, basically anyone who was hot in the 80s. So... Swayze, um, Matthew Broderick, Michael J. Fox, I think Tom Hanks. And then they say, but then the writers have also said that they wrote it with Tom Cruise in mind. So I'm steering towards the Tom Cruise was always in the role for, for Maverick. However, I do have some coulda, woulda, shouldas for some other roles. So for Charlie, not not you, for, for call sign Charlie, uh, for the Kelly McGillis role, apparently Demi Moore was um, very close to getting the role, but sh- she lost out for unconfirmed reasons. Ali Sheedy was also considered, so she's in the from the Breakfast Club. She's the the, the weird girl in the Breakfast Club. Uh, Brooke Shields, and also Meg Ryan did also audition for Charlie, but they said yes, yeah, she was not right for the role, but to re audition for the role of. Goose's wife, who I have. Young Meg, Meg Ryan, wow. For the role of Viper, they have down as John Voight, but also, interestingly, Lewis Gossett Jr. Now, as we know, Lewis Gossett Jr. would go in to star in the much more inferior ripoff 
Iron Eagle. What a franchise. He's in every single film, whereas the pilots weren't. And I remember you and I joking when we were younger. It's like, do you think the pilots die? Because we <laughs> I think we only ever saw Iron Eagle 2. We hadn't seen the original. Uh, it was one of those ones like <laughs> and we couldn't I, get hold of it in Gojo. Mom, I want Top Gun. <laughs> Top Gun's out. They've got Iron Eagle. Oh, okay. Thing is, Johnny, a lot of other kids wanted to watch Top Gun. What I do have apparently is better and it's called iron eagle four they've made all four of them in the past year and apparently in the the documentary i think is it uh the guy who plays wolfman i think he's called barry tub the, the guy that wears the cowboy hat in the movie yeah he's he's uh, got some good anecdotes um but he said basically because like when the project was uh, going around and everyone was auditioning everyone like wanted to be in it and ev- like anyone of a certain age is like I want to be I want to audition for that Top Gun movie and apparently none other than Charlie Sheen he's like he says Charlie Sheen was desperate to get any role in, in the film but he was too, <laughs> too young uh, I think he was only like 18 or something at the time but ironically obviously he would go on to be you know, He'd get his chance. He'd well, get no, his but, chance. But they'd go and do Platoon, I think, a year or two later. And then, yeah. yes, he would get his, his chance in a different way to 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 fly that plane. Um, so, yes, I thought that was was quite amusing. Brilliant. So there you have it. There's, I'm, I'm a bit upset that uh, flying jets, <laughs> <laughs> that our favourite uh, Christopher Walken doesn't get. No, I've got bogeys all over me. Maverick, now maybe he was a bit older. Maverick, yeah. Ego. <laughs> <laughs> Running checks. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe. cash. Yeah, no, uh, this this film uh, means means so much to us and everybody else, even the US military. <laughs> so I think it ticks all of the boxes. It takes out all the MIGs. Um, is there anything left to say that we haven't covered, George? Uh, no, I, I think I think we've we've said it all. You know, it's it's uh, it's a big film. It's one of the biggest films of the eighties. It's one of the biggest films of our childhood. So, um, and we've been sitting on it for a long time because obviously when there was the news of Maverick, Maver- uh, Top Gun Maverick has been delayed for pretty much almost three years because of the pandemic. Yeah, so we have had this in the pipeline. So apologies to our listeners have been like, when are you, when are you going to do Top Gun? It's it's a, one of the biggest films of the 80s. So yes, uh, thank you for your patience. But I think it's uh, good to say we will be covering Maverick. Charlie, isn't that right? We definitely will. Um, we will be covering it in completely spoilerific fashion. I think probably at the time of recording, you've had a chance, uh, you might have had a chance to listen to a reactionary video. I was lucky enough to go and see it uh, at the at the premiere in in London, uh, so but George and I will go into full detail, and there is a there's going to be a lot of callbacks to this episode. You know, there's going to be, but that is going to be that's going to be on our on our Patreon because it's where we cover the recent films. So if you you check out our Patreon if you haven't already, if you want to know how this is a great example of how the franchises that never die. The, the wells that we go back and drink from. But it's been a long time, a long time coming. Um, and I think it will be a very special retrospective, retro ramble look back because, and I, I don't want to go into too much detail, but it is interesting to see that an amazing action movie of 80s ilk can still be made today and it can be made well. So it could even be, oh my God, dare I dare say it, listeners, uh, a rebirth and let's make some more 80s films like they used yes. to make them. Well, We'll see. We'll see. But there's definitely some elements of that, that certain things can still be done and still be successful. So 
Yeah. I'm sure Kenny Loggins will be thankful for that. If the 80s are back, he's, he's just waiting for his phone to ring. Time for another album. Um, can I just have one request? Can we, you just play out the, the Pan Pipes version of Take My Breath Away as, as we fade out on this podcast? Because that's. Well, is that what you hear in, a, in an elevator? It's like, I'm, it's just well, making no, no, me more anxious. No, no, they, 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 they play it in uh, at the start of the, f- uh, well, parts of the film before they properly launch into it. It's like, bling, 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 bling. Oh, yeah. Bling, just bling, just yeah. lying it, lying it. But this was, this is, this is the flash dance hangover you're talking about. But hey, it resonated with me. Almost as much with playing with the boys, but you know it is. You know it's um, it's 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 a discovery movie. It's a coming of age. It's a it's, it's a coming of age film. So yeah, join us next time. I say we will be posting uh, our thoughts on Maverick on Patreon. Uh, so patreon.com forward slash Retro Ramble. I'm right in thinking. Just type in Retro Ramble on Patreon. You'll find you us. Find us. We're, we're getting big now. Just type in Retro. Just just type in RR. No, no. Type yeah. in Retro Ramble.blog. You'll find us. But um, we've got more 80s classics on the way. All the usual sh- shenanigans. Uh, it's been great to go back and review one of the biggest films of our youth. I hope we've done it justice. I never get tired of watching this film. I've got it in very different formats. I've even got it in 3D format, which I haven't actually checked out yet. So maybe I'll comment on that later. But uh, anything else you want to say, George? Thank you for listening. And uh, thank you for all your support and comments. And uh, any film suggestions, let us know on our social channels on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And of course, the blog at retroramble.blog. Uh, so this was Top Gun. We are Retro Ramble. I am Charlie McGee. I am George McGee. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.